0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome. I'm glad that you're with us this morning. This uh, Sunday we are beginning in the book of Colossians, and we're going to be in the book of the Colossians for the next three weeks. Injustice. Injustice. It seems to be all around us, doesn't it? And division. And strife. If you've been paying any kind of attention at all to the news this last week, we have seen graphic pictures of strife, alienation, and apparent injustice. But there is absolutely nothing new in the history of humanity. Our text this morning from Colossians arises from a grievous act of injustice so let me invite you to take out this little gray handout that you have there in your pack and turn in your bibles back to colossians i think that page was 953 the book of colossians turn your bibles to colossians chapter 1 and let's take an up close and personal look at this grave injustice which befell the Apostle Paul. The book of Colossians was written while Paul was under house arrest in Rome. He was there because of the cowardice of two Roman officials. The one knew Paul to be absolutely innocent of any wrongdoing, but he kept him in prison for two long years, hoping to extort a bribe from Paul. But what he got from Paul, rather, was some extended sermons, Luke tells us, on righteousness, self-control, and coming judgment. I hope you can appreciate the irony of that. Well, not willing to clean up the mess that he created, the Roman governor passed Paul on to his successor. And his successor, Festus, understood that Paul really should be released. But he simply chose to kick the problem upstairs and sent Paul on to the emperor. And as a result of that, Paul was to spend another three years in custody, waiting for a just resolution of his case. Folks, this was injustice indeed. There's plenty of material here for a CBS 60-minute expose. So Paul, when he came to writing the letter of the Corinthians, was three years, the letter to Colossians, rather, was three years into a five-year-long nightmare of injustice. He could have been angry. He could have been bitter. He had a right to be outraged. But look at verse 24. Now, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is, the church. Paul could see beyond the injustice and perceive that God was at work in his circumstances. Now in writing to the Colossians, Paul was writing to a church that he'd never been to. If you look at the little map that I gave you there, you can see that Colossae is more than a thousand miles, as the crow flies, from Rome. Paul had once been near to Colossae. He spent two years in Ephesus, ministering to the church in ephesus and while he was there there was a holy spirit revival that broke out and as a result of that spirit-filled evangelists radiated out from ephesus all through central turkey and they carried the carried the gospel to such places as laodicea and to Colossae. one of those evangelists was epiphras or Epaphras, depending on how you choose to pronounce it. And Epaphras had carried the truth of the gospel and the spark of the Holy Spirit to the Colossians. Now, Epaphras had come all the way to Rome to give Paul a report of how things were going in Colossae. And he decided, you can see there in verse 7, he decided that he was going to stay there with Paul and help him during his house arrest. And Paul's response to the report that he received would be carried by two men, a certain Tychicus and a certain Onesimus. You read about Onesimus in the book of Philemon. It would be carried by these two men back to the Colossians. You can read about that in chapter 4 of the book. Let's look now and see what this unjustly imprisoned Paul had to say to the Colossians. In verses 3 through 8, Paul begins with a sincere compliment, a sincere compliment. He says in verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And of the love which you have for the saints because of the hope that is in you in heaven. Of this you've heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you've heard of it and understood the gospel in truth. Though Paul has never actually met the Colossians, he is confident of two things. First, he is confident that they have received an authentic gospel. And secondly, he is confident that they have received it in an authentic way. In other words, the Colossians are genuine believers. Well, how in the world can Paul be so sure about that? He doesn't know them. For you Baptists out there, he wasn't there when they prayed the sinner's prayer. He was not the preacher that baptized them. He was not the bishop that confirmed them into the faith. He never told the church secretary to put them on the membership rolls. So how can he be sure that they are genuine believers? He knows by what may be observed in their lives. Remember the Lord Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. A good tree cannot produce rotten fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. Try as it might. Paul can't look into their hearts and say, oh, I can see that you're believers down in there. He only knows what has been reported to him. And what has been reported to him is that the Colossians have both the attitudes and the actions of a true believer. Look at verse 4. He says, we've heard about your faith. We've heard about the love that you have for fellow believers. In verse 5 he says, we've heard about your hope. What is hope? It is your aspirations and your goals and we recognize that your aspirations and goals aren't limited to the things of this life. No, your hope is set on an eternal inheritance. And then in verse 6 he says, these attitudes are bearing fruit. Faith hope, and love are changing the world around the Colossians in big and in little ways. Their attitudes are actually affecting their behavior and their behavior is changing the world around them. Now Paul says something else very important here. He says that this is not just a one-off experience, unique to the Colossians. The reason that Paul knows that the Colossians have become genuine believers is because wherever a true gospel goes and it is truly and rightly received, the very same thing happens that is happening to the Colossians. A true gospel, rightly received, produces authentic Christians. Well friends the walk could hardly be more plain here this morning could it? We may make whatever kind of profession we wish. We may claim any spiritual experience that we might want to claim but when the real deal happens to us then visible change takes place. It's a change that can be seen by our neighbors. It can be reported by our boss. Those around us can experience that we are different. If there is no evidence of faith, hope and love bearing fruit then one or both of two things have taken place. Either we have not received a true gospel or we have not received it in a true way. Now perhaps someone has tried to pass off to you a gospel so they say that you have no part in. You don't have to participate in this gospel. You've been told that kind of like a fish has been dragged ashore against its own will. Everything's been done for you. Nothing left. It's all been done. All you have to do is kind of flop around like the fish on the beach. Paul writes that the true gospel isn't like that. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, indeed, it is all of grace, every bit of it. But it is a grace that is at work in you, so that you and I can labor more than them all. Or perhaps you have received a true gospel, but you have not received it in the true way. You have never allowed the Holy Spirit to come into your life and to work renewal and change in your heart to bring new life and transformation to you. Paul was confident that the Colossians were true believers because their visible attitudes resulted in visible fruit in their lives and because paul is confident of this then in verses 9 through 12 he goes on to pray for them that they would continue in the faith he asks four things for these true believers he says if they're going to manifest faith hope and love then First of all, they need to be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Secondly, if they're going to bear fruit for God, then they need to be strengthened with spiritual power. Remember Jesus said, no branch will produce fruit by itself. If it doesn't abide in the vine and draw its nourishment from the vine, it's not going to bear any fruit at all. So Paul prays that they will have spiritual power. The third thing that he prays is that their lives will manifest endurance, joy, and thanksgiving. And finally he prays that all these things will add up to this. That they will live like saints who know they're going to inherit eternal light. The Colossians were true believers and Paul prayed that they would live and believe and act like it. Then in verses 13 through 19 he moves off on an entirely different tack. Not track, tack. That's a navy term. See we learn from chapter 2 something important. We learned that apparently at Colossae, after the church had received a true gospel, somebody else had come along and attempted to confuse them. Someone had come along and said that the true gospel was not enough for them. If the Colossians wanted to inherit the kingdom of God, then they needed to add to the gospel a bunch of do's and don'ts, a bunch of rules about food and ritual purity. If they didn't keep these rules, so they were saying, then the Colossians would lose their inheritance. You know what Paul's response is? That is pure nonsense. Why is it nonsense? Because they had already experienced life and inheritance in Christ. Look at verses 13 and 14. He says, Jesus Christ has delivered us or rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul says, you all keep on living like saints because Christ has already brought you into his kingdom. Well, how did God do that? How was this rescue and transformation brought about? It was brought about through the excellencies of Jesus Christ. These false teachers were saying that the Colossians needed to add something else to the gospel if the gospel was going to be effective. You see, they, they said what that what was needed was a self made righteousness tacked on to the gospel. And Paul says that is pure nonsense. For the gospel is what brings us in Christ. And when we are in Christ then we have all the glories of Christ. You have all the riches that are found in him. Riches so complete and so abundant you have everything you need what are these riches look at verse 15 Christ is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones dominions rulers or authority all things were created through him and for him. In other words, Jesus Christ is the agent of all creation. Verse 17, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In other words, not only is Jesus the agent of creation, he's the one that is currently sustaining the entire universe. The reason why the world doesn't fall apart tomorrow Is because Jesus Christ is holding it up by his power. Look at verse 18. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. In other words, Jesus alone, not some man, decides who's in the church and who's not. And Jesus can support and aid every single person in the church who calls upon him he's the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent you see Jesus is the head of the resurrection band he leads the resurrection parade As the grand marshal of that parade, he will see to it that everyone who follows him will safely arrive at their eternal inheritance. Finally, verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. What is it that you need This morning. It must be something. What is it you need? You have it if you are in Christ. For in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. Now friends, over this last few weeks... America has experienced much pain. Our divisions, political and religious, our divisions of race and class, our media with its divisive rhetoric, our violence, our injustice, all these have been on display our alienation and hostility as a nation have been everywhere evident but you know what at the personal level we also see that right here in this congregation many have experienced extended have experienced strife in their extended families many have experienced relational difficulties. Some in this congregation are full of bitterness and hurts. And some of those hurts have been unspeakably painful. And some of them, alas to say, are sort of only made up in a person's mind. But all these things have separated us from one another. Our national leaders declare, if only we will come together and dialogue, we will resolve all our difficulties. Well, there might be some truth to that. That is probably the best that an unbelieving world can do. But you and I, believer, know what is really needed. In verses 20 through 22, Paul writes about what the world needs now and it needs it most of all. Look at verse 20, and through him that is through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. The last 53 years of my life have been marked by incessant, talk and dialogue about harmony and reconciliation it began with the age of Aquarius and we've talked about reconciliation whether racial social or economic and I believe a fair assessment would say that some progress has been made but for every hurdle that we have crossed We've lifted up our head to see there are two more. And it has become evident that alienation and prejudice, anger and division mark not just one group in America, but all groups in America. And folks, it's not just Americans, but every people group on the planet is prejudiced against and alienated from some other. Without exception. That is our human condition. In these last 53 years, I have despaired at all that divides us. Knowing that I, too, at times, have contributed wittingly or unwittingly to these divisions. It is Only when men and women are reconciled to God that they can be deeply and genuinely reconciled to each other. And even then, it's a difficult affair. Why do you think Paul prays that they be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might? Because reconciliation is a very difficult thing. But this morning, I invite you to look about this room. Stand up. Stand up. Look around this room. Have a seat. I invite you to look around and recognize the Holy Spirit miracle that is at work in this place. Reconciliation is taking place among us because of Jesus Christ. Consider how many countries we represent, how many races, how many perspectives we are, How many places and viewpoints we have. Christ indeed is among us, reconciling us to God and to each other. Well, what's our response going to be? What ought our response to be to this amazing little letter? I believe Paul gives it to us in verse 23 he says continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard the words in the original literally mean remain in the faith it's a present tense command it means just continue on continuing on have your foundations set in all the excellencies of Christ. Be steadfast in what you've believed and never, ever shift away from setting your hope on the inheritance that is coming to you in glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, if we've heard a true gospel and we've received it in the true way, You are reconciling us to you. In your reconciliation, bear much fruit in our lives. In your reconciliation, draw us in peace and unity to one another. This we pray for our good and your glory. Amen.